Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to The Debrief with your friends here at Sandals Church. Today, we have a really special episode that we have put together all on the topic of our response to gun violence and really what the church's role is in that. Can you kind of share some about, you know, why you wanted to have this conversation, why we did this episode today? Yeah, so we, I think at Sandals, we're, we're, we're just a little hesitant to you kind of wade into political things because I think it's so volatile. I mean, it's hard enough to win people to Jesus. It's much more difficult um, when you weigh into political things. But the reality is we've had many people at our church personally affected by multiple mass shootings. We had the one in San Bernardino. Uh, we had the uh, Route 91 in Vegas where we had literally tons of people from our church that were there and witnessed that. And so, it, you know, it just seems to be coming up more and more and more. And so, we just wanted to have this conversation with some couple law enforcement, some of our uh, soul care people, and then one of our uh, mass shooting survivors uh, from our own church. She actually works for us here at Sandals Church, mm-hmm. and she's been my friend for a long time. And we just want to have a non-volatile conversation about gun violence. And it's what I think the media should be doing, uh, rather than everybody jumping into their corners and accusing one another, just to talk about some of the things that we can do as a church and what are some of the things that we can do to respond and be a part of this process? So I hope that it's not offensive for you, but I hope it does challenge your thinking a little bit to think about how you respond. And before you send a message, a post or a blog, or just a nasty response that you'd take a step back and think, okay, is this helpful? And I know you've been helpful for me as I've responded sometimes <laughs> uh, at Sandals Church to Miss Stephanie, my angel, uh, who does not live in heaven, but lives on earth says, maybe you don't want to post that boss. So, yeah, that's what I'm so here thanks for, so much. So. I'm glad to be here yeah. and I hope that it blesses you guys and you enjoy it. Yeah. Thanks guys. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Debrief. Uh, it's been a while, I know, and we got a little new uh, setup for those of you who are watching. If you're listening, it's going to sound exactly the same, but uh, we're going to have uh, some vigorous discussion today about gun violence. And uh, so I have a couple of special guests here. I have my good friend, uh, Aurelio Melendrez, who uh, just retired 15 years. Yes. Right? Yeah? Yep. Okay. And then I have uh, my good buddy, Mike, here, who uh, just came out of homelessness and... Uh, <laughs> Uh, it's just a great turnaround story. Super excited. Glad, glad you're here today. Yes, I'm kidding. He's also a retired police officer, and both of them work uh, for Sandals Church now doing uh, campus uh, pastor and... Security director. Yeah, yeah. So I keep my eye on you. You keep your eye on me. It's a good relationship. And so uh, just lighten it up a little bit, because we're going to have a serious talk today. And uh, uh, we've had people at our church that have been personally affected by this. And I know as law enforcement, you guys have experienced this. So let me ask you guys your question. Again, this question, and this is your personal thought on this. This isn't the Sandals Church statement, so I don't want you to feel pressure. But let's start with you, Mike. What is your perspective on the rise of mass shootings in America? Like, just from your personal perspective, why do you think it seems that we just continue to have this more and more often? I think it's I think it's relational. I think uh, the the public doesn't understand the nature of the problem. It's not it's not focused on guns. It's not focused on on uh, mental illness. There's a lot of facets to it. And I think once we understand what the nature of the, the problem is, I think we'll have a, a, a better understanding. We'll have a, a uh, maybe less mass shootings than we do now. I think it's got to be relational. I hmm. think uh, people have to understand um, if, it's, if you see somebody that's having an issue, uh, maybe uh, um, having a, a problem with... Uh, 
depression, uh, maybe out, acting out in anger. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that we need to just step in and, and uh, just talk to them more and be more relational. Yeah, absolutely. How about you, Aurelio? Yeah, um, I agree with Mike. You know, you have, I think, a whole... It's something we talk about weekly is you have a whole generation of people that are surrounded by people yet all alone, mm-hmm. um, whether that's through social media and whether, you know, anything, there is much less human connection than right. there has ever been before. So people are more, I think, more in their echo chambers than ever ever before. They're able right. to follow what they want to follow, see what they want to see. Um, video games, of course, yeah. have gotten more and more violent, more and more graphic uh, they're able to just, you know, entrench themselves in that area. And then if they start feeling disenfranchised, they don't have people to talk to, they don't have people to hmm. um, air that with that maybe they're not comfortable with, or maybe they don't feel that people are going to listen to them. I, I think that's what kind of leads down that road of mm-hmm. maybe they feel that's the only way that they can express their frustration, their anger, not really realizing what what they're entering into. Yeah. So let me talk with you, Mike. So, you know, part of your role at San Jose Church is, and you know, I get weird letters, weird statements. And it's it's been a frustrating thing for me when there's a person that's very unsettling, but because they haven't done anything yet, law enforcement's hands are really tied behind their backs until something happens. What are the chances that we can uh, address issues before they arise? Because it seems like to me, a lot of times... Um, you know, these people are known. They've had many times have had encounters with law enforcement multiple times, their issues, but it's kind of like we're waiting. We're waiting for something to happen. Is there any hope at all in, in uh, act proactively dealing with these people? And you know, some of the situations where I've had to deal with where people are very angry. Um, like Aurelio said, they're in their own echo chamber. There's really not there's not a real chance of talking rationally with some of these people. And so do you think there's any hope at all for uh, law enforcement and lawmakers to come together to to give us some ability to talk with these people before, you know, there's something tragic or terrible. Absolutely, it's it's you know the hand, law enforcement hands are tied. Um, there is no specific laws that we can. When somebody says, "Oh, they're 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 having an issue," they I think they're going to do a mass shooting or right. or or a mass killing, and so law enforcement's hands are tied to where. We can't just go in there and say, "Okay, give me your guns, give me your right. the Second Amendment rights." Yeah. You know, we have to keep that in mind. So, I think it, it stems back to um, a relationship, um, being able to help that person in some way. It could be just connecting with them, connecting them to some resources that um, could help them. But it's really a tough situation to be able to solve. I think we can reduce, but I don't think we're going to be able to solve it. Yeah, right. How about you? What do you think? I, I think, uh, you know, being here on the weekend, especially, and we have yeah. a lot of different folks approach you and want to talk specifically to you, but being able to actually talk to them, because I think a lot of the mistakes I made early on, whether it be in my career with the police department or even here is, hey, I've got something else to do. I've got to kind of move on. But being able to engage in those conversations with people right. and ask them, like, what's going on? And when you, even somebody that's having kind of that disconnect, mm-hmm. a lot of the times you can get through and get to a point where they will trust you and open up to you. I think I think in many ways, just by acknowledging the person, validating the person and being able to, to discuss what's on their mind, mm-hmm. it might not be you, it might be one of us. 
I think you can diffuse a lot of situations that way. Yeah. But it's, it's hard to know. I mean, it's, I had this lieutenant at a meeting one time. We had to go talk because this car decided they wanted to go 120 miles an hour down a little side street and they crashed into a palm tree and unfortunately mm -hmm. people didn't make it. And one of the things he said at this meeting to this family, because it was in front of their house, was that you're going to have a hard time stopping anyone who's just set on doing something mm -hmm. and not talking to anybody about it. Right. So if they have nobody to draw them and, and talk them out of it, then, then you're going to have a more difficult time. But if somebody's reaching out and willing to be open, mm -hmm. I think you have to jump on that and start talking to them yeah. and talk them through that. I think, um, and this is my opinion, and some of you probably won't like what I have to say, but I think as leaders, we have to be accountable for you know what we say. Years ago at a marriage conference, I made a statement that I thought was very healthy and very normal. And, uh, and this has nothing to do with mass shootings, just, just proves the point that we have to think about how a, a, a person who's crazy or off is going to interpret what is said. And we're at a marriage conference and I said that married couples should have sex two to three times a week. I thought that was healthy. I thought that was normal. Well, not if you're in an abusive relationship where you feel unheard, unseen, and abused. And then here I am years later doing counseling with a husband who's abusive, and his wife is being made to do this two to three times a week. And I went, whoa. And so I realized that language is important. Um, you have to talk to the health of the marriage, the relation. You know, you have to talk to specific issues. You can't just make these blanket statements. And I think part of the problem in our culture is the nature of politics. So when Donald Trump, and I'm going to pick on both sides, when Donald Trump uses the language invasion, I think that's to, to, to you and I, I think we can probably go, okay, he's, you know, that's Trump. He's being exaggeratory. That's his nature. That's who he is. But to a mentally disabled person or to a person who's already on the edge, stressed out, uh, feels unheard, that, that could be something that's triggering them to act out. Because if, if there is actually an invasion, right, there's a response that's normative to that. And it's not a big leap for a person with mental challenges to go, invasion, well, I need to respond with violence. And so uh, I think that, you know, it's, it's incumbent on all politicians and I get it, right? They got to preach to their choir. They got to rally their troops. I understand that, but there's just this, everybody just needs to chill out, you know, and the same token when Kamala Harris repeatedly refers to Michael Brown as being murdered. Well, if, if, if you have her saying that, and I know some of you feel like he was, well, I've, I've read, I've read, and I don't need, want you guys to comment because I know you're ex-police officers. I've read all of the findings. The Washington Post did an amazing story on it. And the Washington Post is a li liberal paper where it talked about line by line, interview by interview, you know, I think there's 140 eyewitnesses and, um, you can disagree with the shooting. You can, you can, you can say something else should have happened. Using the language murdered is, is unhealthy, wrong, and it, it heightens something that's already a volatile situation. Um, and, and, you know, so Senator uh, Kamala Harris should not use that language. She can, can she say things like, you know, uh, we need to, we need to curb uh, violent interactions between police and specific minorities. Absolutely. In the same way, Donald Trump can say, look, we have a, we have a crisis at the border. He should not use the language invasion, uh, she should not use the language murder because there's already enough emotion in these things. We need to take a step back, 
and say, look, we can continue to work towards policing, specifically in Ferguson, between between police officers uh, and the black community. And there were some things that came out in that that were problematic, and that's good. Um, I think that our politicians need to lead in that and just take a step back and say, okay, guys, we're in this together. We're going to work together. We're going to figure this out. Because ultimately what we need is we need secure borders. I think we all need that as Americans, despite you have your skin color. And we all need good policing, despite your skin color. And heightening the emotional tensions and, and throwing gasoline on that fire doesn't help anybody. And I think it spurs people. And I would say our culture is already unstable. We're already a mentally unstable culture. Um, and, it, and it pushes us. And I really appreciate what Oprah Winfrey said on it. You know, her commentary on the mass shootings, and I think it's interesting. She said, I think our culture lacks a moral center. And so um, rather than running to, um, I think, politics or race-based emotion, she went to a spiritual point and she said, hey, I think I think we're missing something deeply here. And I think it's our, our spiritual connection that, that brings us together, that brings us off the computer and into a group. Um, but it's hard. I mean, we're more divisive than ever. We... Uh, we see things more differently than ever. Um, I, for most of my life, and, and we're similar age, you know, Democrats and Republicans could be friends. And now that's becoming more and more difficult. And I think that that's tragic. Um, so if you're losing your mind and you're ready to send an email, I simply tried to call out on two individuals who I think represent both sides. Everybody can take a chill pill. And that includes you and the email that you're going to send me. Okay. So, um, how have you guys seen this affect law enforcement and first responders? I mean, I know that you and I talked immediately. We didn't discuss, but a law enforcement officer was killed and there was a shooting right here in Riverside locally. Um, th- that's affected you. Uh, you had a, a partner that was killed or wounded. I can't remember. Killed. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so you, you've been a part of, uh, of a shooting and, and what's that like when you're responding to that? We'll see. And, and when that, yeah, when that happened, I wasn't working, but you get called in. Okay, okay. And there's just a sense of, um, like, there's a sense of panic. I, I would say even amongst the police, because you're responding, right. not knowing quite what you're going into. And once you do this long enough, you start realizing that uh, everything you get on the radio or everything you're being told is not 100% accurate. So you're mm-hmm. doing your best just to sift through. So uh, what I explain it, as or how I describe it is uh, when you first start working, you get that first big adrenaline dump. Right. And it's like you never back down. Mm-hmm. So I would say for the past 15 years, you're up right. the whole time. And then when these things happen, you spike even higher. But when this happened, so this was in 2013, it was an ex officer. He actually shot and killed um, a friend, you yeah. know, partner Mike Crane here in Riverside and wounded. Uh, Andrew Takius, who was his trainee and great friend of mine. Um, it felt like law enforcement was being hunted because he had just shot at two officers in Corona and then he yeah. ended up shooting uh, well, he was Jeremiah hunting. McKay. He was yeah. hunting. That's exactly what he was. And so for that to be turned, there was a whole different level of stress on us because it became what's, you know, what's yeah. next, what's, what's coming. But there's also this... Um, just real sadness, like you don't ever get a chance to work through, I would say, your feelings, of, you know, being depressed, being sad, you know, working through the steps of, yeah. of grief. You don't get that because you have a job to do, you're on to the next, and then you have a funeral where, quite honestly, you're just, mm-hmm. you're on display. Right. You know, you're, you're, you're 
you're in uniform, you're looking shiny, you have these amazing members of the community that come out to support you and say all these yeah. great things, but then you're back to work yeah. the next day. And so with that, it affected a lot of people. And I think that's something that people don't don't really take into account. It's not just when officers get killed. That's a huge, terrible incident. But anytime anyone along the way deals with somebody who's yeah. been killed or murdered, you have ambulance drivers. You know, In that situation, we had these two amazing citizens in Riverside who helped and probably saved Andrew's life because he, one of them being a taxi driver that actually grabbed a radio and radioed for help for Andrew. And then you had another person who followed mm. the suspect. And, you know, there's an impact for them because they just had to see this happen. Mm. And then with the incident that just happened recently, you had a off-ramp and freeway full of people that watched that happen. So those traumas that just hit everyone mm. in the in, in just so many different ways. Um, you know, when you lose a friend, it's hard. Yeah. When you lose a friend that way, there's no explaining it. Yeah. And so it's difficult to wrap your head around. Yeah. How about you? Because you guys had, um, you had the terrorist shooting in San Bernardino that you had to respond to. And you actually had to do the manhunt for the individual that uh, Aurelio is talking about, because I right. think he went up in Big Bear or something, which is your, right. your, your, your patrol area. So I too, I too lost a friend in that same incident. Um, but I also responded that to that incident as well as a negotiator. Okay. Um, and, and so I, I was kind of in a, in a different uh, role on, on when I responded to that. It was, it was kind of like you want to uh, be there, you want to, if I was there to help, it's got a little bit of disbelief. Oh, if I was just there, maybe I could have helped him. Maybe I could have saved right. him. So it's a little bit of that. Um, so it's just just one of those things where I wanted to be there. I wanted to be in that situation. Maybe I could have. It, it could have turned out a little different. Yeah, absolutely. So you and I, um, you know, you how, how you've just not been a police officer for a year and you've, one year, and yeah. you've been not one for for five months, two months, two months, two months. So yeah, so you guys Welcome. are. You guys are fresh to ministry, um, but you and I, um, so the shooting that we just had here in Riverside where an officer was killed, um, you know, which obviously is terrible. Um, the police officer lost his life. The shooter also lost his life uh, in that shootout. Uh, Aurelio, uh, you got to pray with the family of the shooter. What was that like for you? Because that's a whole nother side. That, at first it was hard. I would say it was, re <laughs> it was really hard. Um, but realizing and being able to see that other side, uh, I'd been notified and asked, Hey, do you know, um, the shooter's father? And I said, I, I don't know. And right. they, you know, there was a sandal sign on their front yard, but when he actually came to church and I was told he was here, there was a real, you know, split in me mm -hmm. because that's one side you don't ever consider. You don't, yeah. that, you know, they lost a son. And, and I get what he did was evil and terrible. But when the dad told me as I sat down in front of him, I feel worse because I prayed for that officer before I even prayed for my own son. I mean, he told us about how he turned his son's pictures around and did, yeah. doesn't even want to look at him. And just seeing how much he was hurting over the loss of his grandchildren's father, right. his son, uh, and, and mourning what happened to that officer and not to say that had he not said those things, it would have made it 
you know, easier for me to go one way or another, but just to be able to tell him like, mm. Hey, we're here for you and you're always welcome here. Yeah. And when we kind of walked through a little bit of, of what he was feeling, he goes, I don't know if you've ever been through anything like this. And to be able to tell him, yeah, I have. Yeah. And here's the other side I sat on. I mean, the look on his face was like, I'm sorry. Yeah. You know, that was one of the first things he told me. And I go, you don't need to apologize to me. I, I get it. You're hurting. But that was, uh, I would say in a lot of ways, really healing for for me to to be able to go, okay, there's a different approach I can take to this because you don't ever get to kind of come full circle on those things. Right. You kind of are just left hanging with the the anger and yeah, and, and quite honestly, probably the hate toward anyone who's who's harmed your your friend and and what it did to his family. Yeah, but it was uh, it was difficult, but it was it was good. Yeah, to be able to help him take that next step toward where do you go to heal? Yeah. I think the thing that was most interesting to me as I sat with you in that conversation was I think oftentimes we we think of the loss that's incurred uh, by the murderer to uh, you know the police officer, but that young man who killed the police officer didn't just kill the hopes and dreams of the police officer's family. He also killed the hopes and dreams of his parents and his children. Uh, the devastation, and that's what sin does, right? Sin sin doesn't just target specific people. Sin affects us all. And I think that that's what we got to see is we, we think of the ripples facing the police officer, as we should, fa- his family members, as we should, uh, because that's devastating. But we don't think about the ripples of what happens to the family members, Um you know, who are struggling to live in a community where they're known as, you know, you, you, you raised a cop killer and, and, and they're feeling that and um, wondering where we stand as a church. Are they welcome here? You know, can they try to put their lives back together? And um, it's just, it's just interesting. I mean, the shooting impacts, it just ripples and, uh, and it just tears, you know, people apart. So, um and I guess that's really the next question. Can you speak to the the Christian first responder? You know, how should they respond? Because you you've been a first responder, you know, you you have as well. What should the Christian do? Um, you know, when they're on a scene like this, how do you respond to something like this, or maybe to a person, or to the to the situation? Well, you know, it's it's. Uh, I'm going to refer back to what I was talking about as relational, reaching out to those those people that. That, that are hurting. Right. Um, we, we have a job to do. Um, we have to do that job. But once there's an opportunity to be able to reach out in a more personal way uh, to make sure that that person is, is mm-hmm. well, um, that's, that's what I you know, would, would say. Yeah. I think what you said is so wise. I think, you know, for our audience, that's critical of police, right? Because you're going to have some of those out there. We, we we failed we failed to remember that there's a, there's a person behind that uniform, with real fears, real questions, insecurities, strengths, weaknesses. Right, that's a person behind that badge, um, and and we need to remember that. And I think police officers also uh, it can become very job oriented. Need to remember that this person that I'm encountering with is also a person. Um, and 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 again, it's that relational aspect of of how do we you know. Um, connect with one another. I mean, one of my um, favorite shows as a kid, I don't know if you're old enough to remember, I'm sure you are, the Andy Andy Griffith show. He never wore a gun in that show. Do you remember that? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, he he walked through the community, was known in the community. They had guns. You know, I remember an episode, I think, where they had to get them. Bullets in his pocket. Yeah. (laughs) 
you know, but I mean, that, that time in our culture is gone and, and, and we've lost that. And I think that as a culture, some of the disdain we've had for the past, um, we've kind of thrown the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah, things were racist back then. Uh, women didn't have the rights that they do, but there was also a beauty to that time that we've, we've lost where a police officer ha- has no, think about that, no need to carry a gun. Um, you know, you think about, I'm a big Wyatt Earp guy. You know, Wyatt Earp was involved in, uh, what was it, Dodge City? Only two shootings his entire career as, as a police officer in Dodge. Think about that, you know, and because uh, it was a different time and people had a different moral center mm-hmm. back to what Oprah Winfrey said, but they were also more connected to each other. And, um, you know, I just, I just think we're, we're all aggravated. We're all agitated. Uh, we're all upset, I think. And, and we need to get back to relationship and trying to see people as people. My next question is, how have you seen the church Christians help or hurt in response to mass shootings? Like, let me give an example. The, the mass shooting, and I think I'm going to talk to uh, one of the survivors of that on the show here in a bit, uh, from the Vegas shooting. I think Sandals, we had over 32 people at that shooting. Um, that come to Sandals Church on a regular basis. I did a couple funerals for that. How have you seen the church Christians help or hurt in their response to mass shootings? And we also responded to the mass shooting in San Bernardino mm-hmm. um, by opening up our church for a place of prayer. What have you seen that's worked? What have you seen that you think was amiss? Well, being able to go with you to that memorial service for the the victim from the Route, Route 91 shooting, <clears throat> just being able to to share the message of hope being able to share the message of love, yeah. um, like, hey, faith in Christ is is the only way that you're really going to pull through these kinds of things because you can't do it through your own. And just watching the people that responded that day at the at the memorial, uh, I would say was a was a, was a great thing. Um, we had a lot of officers from Riverside PD that were there, and it was very much for many of them just kind of right. business as, as usual. The next day, like wow, can't believe that happened. We were part of it. We were even talking to a couple of the guys, like what happened? And they're telling us, saying, oh, we were further in the back. So we were okay. Because you're just, yeah. you kind of go into that survival mode of, well, this happened over there and now we need to right. step over here. But seeing how the church reached out, um, some of our officers who attend here were able to come in for counseling, mm. able to come in for for prayer and just work through like, hey, what's next for the healing? just us being open and letting them know, hey, we're here, that that whole being present instead of, you know, forcing yourself toward yeah. like, hey, we want to help. And I think that's the hardest balance in this is you want to grab a hold of them and help, but some of them aren't ready. Some people just aren't ready yeah. to to give or, or lean into that mm-hmm. because it's going to take them getting to their point where they go, okay, I need, I need something more or I need... I need to talk to somebody about this because some people just seem to kind of shut it down. But I just thought, especially in the Route 91, I just thought the church did a really good job of just being available and saying, yeah. you know, we're, we're here for whatever you need. And then as people felt comfortable taking that next step. I think what we we need to not do is um, feel like we need to immediately say something or do something. I think that's the worst thing. So the mass shooting that took place while I was in Hawaii, you know, Sandals was criticized and I read some blogs and posts by people who criticized that Sandals didn't say anything. Um, you know, Pastor Alfredo was preaching that weekend who is Hispanic. And I think that's important to, to recognize that. And 
the information was new and it was fresh. And Fredo's a new preacher. And, and I, for everybody who wants to be so critical, I invite you to stand up and talk in front of thousands of people. It's not as easy as you think that it is. So he's trying to manage that. He's trying to manage his own emotions, hearing the news that Hispanics have been targeted. That's deeply personal to him as a Hispanic. And he made the decision to not say anything because he wanted more information to come in. Um, and I was on vacation and I wasn't here to help lead him through that situation. But instead of being critical of, well, the church didn't do anything, I think we need to have a compassionate mind and say, okay, Fredo's new to preaching. Um, this is a major, major curveball in terms of his preparation, his prayer. And it's not easy to to respond. You guys were here. I think you were here at the service when we had the woman burst out in tears. Was that two weeks ago? Yep. I mean, literally, so I'm I'm right in one moment, and now I'm 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 forced into another moment because of something that's happened. It's not I've been doing this for 25 years. It was still challenging to negotiate and to handle that. So we need to have grace for Fredo and we need to have grace for the church. And ultimately, our the immediacy of our response is not nearly as important as our ultimate response. What are we going to do? How are we going to help? How can we be more involved? And, um, you know, I think eventually Sandals will be better equipped, you know, to handle with disaster relief and to be able to send out teams to help with counseling. Texas is well-equipped. Texas is one of the most spiritual uh, states in our union. They're not in need of church help. I mean, that's just, let's just say that Texas is loaded. That's a bad word to use. Texas is, is full of massive churches and people who are willing to give sacrificially, do counseling. I mean, you know, they're not California. California, we don't have a lot of churches. A lot of people aren't Christians. Uh, the churches that we do have, many of them are not even able to pay for their light bill, much less raise up counselors and send them. So, you know, I think Sandals has a unique role in that. But what I would just say is, is, is be a calming force. Be a calming force. Try to talk people off the edge, off the cliff, and encourage them to turn to God and, and to say, okay, we need to do something about that and, and not get into this, this argument about, about what it is or what isn't. Because the reality is we have a second amendment, as you said, uh, it is, it is a right under the constitution to own guns. And that, that creates a challenge for sandals, whether sandals for, for all Christians, whether you agree with it or not, that's the law. Um, and so we have to be able to work within that. But if we lose our minds and we become sinful, now we've become a part of the problem and not a part of the solution. So um, I just would really encourage you to wait before you go on your rant. Um, I think there's wisdom in deleting rants rather than posting it. Generally, rants are not full of the Spirit. There's, the critical, there's a critical Spirit, and then there's the Holy Spirit. And so I think we have to be measured um, we have to be correct and we have to be biblical in our approach in that. And we have to be so careful. And here's the other thing is politics loves to lure Christians in to that mosh pit. Have you guys ever been in a mosh pit? Yes. So like, so if you haven't been in a mosh pit, a mosh pit, and probably not for women, right? No, most women, there might be a few women. They're like, yeah, I want to be in a mosh pit. I think most guys want to be in a mosh pit, but then as soon as you get in it, you're like, this was probably... A bad idea. And so I think that we have to be very, very leery when politi politicians invite us into the political mosh pit because they want my opinions on some things and not other things. And um, we have to be very, very careful and very, very mindful because people want to use Jesus on the right and on the left to get elected. 
And we have to be very, very careful that we don't allow ourselves to be pulled into that mosh pit because it's really, really difficult to get yourself out. You know, we had the real conversation on race. We had politicians I had never seen at Sandals Church, and I've never seen them since. And I got more business cards that I threw away. I had business, man, I, I had pockets full of business cards, senators, congressmen, people running for this, people running for that. And you know where they all went? The trash. Because they don't care about sandals. I don't know whether they really care about race, racial reconciliation or not. They care about getting elected and getting their name out there and taking a picture. And so we have to be very, very careful and know that people will use you to get their agenda across. And unfortunately, politics really is about being in power on both sides. And so we, we have to be, and that's why they, you just wonder, why can't they agree on that? Why can't they, why can't they come together for common sense uh, gun law resolutions? And it's because at the end of the day, it's more important to get elected than it is to solve problems. Um, because problems actually fire up your base. So if you solve them, then why do we need you? And so it, it's, a, it's, it's a real mind-boggling thing. So I just would encourage you that I think when, when we're tired, upset, frustrated, that is not the time to respond. Pray about it. Take a day. And you know what? Less people might read it the day or two after, but you're, what you're doing is more pleasing to God rather than this instantaneous jerk reaction um, of saying, and, and I think that's, that's the response Fredo made is, is he didn't feel like he was in the right place to respond in that moment. And we have to honor that. Whether we agree with it or not, we have to honor that and give him grace and, and pray for him in that situation. He was in a tough situation. It, you know, it was, the news was unfolding. His emotions were high. He's nervous. Dude, have some grace for people, man. It's just, I just think it's so easy to be critical. Well, All right, and, go ahead. And with that, like, you have you have early or preliminary information that comes out. So if he makes a response to something like that based on what he read prior to going out, it could turn out to be all wrong later. Right. And and I agree with you. He made the absolute right decision in just sitting and waiting and figuring out, okay, what, what comes next? But people always feel that they have the answer right. or the response mm-hmm. to whatever the situation is. And when you start forcing and pushing that, you do stir people up. Yeah. And when we were able to talk to that father and just tell him what your son did was evil, yeah, I don't think people are willing to just call it out for what it is. And that's one thing that I've really loved about being at this church is that just call it what it is and acknowledge it. And then God's going to have to handle it. Yeah. There, it. There's always this need for why, like, yeah. what is the reason? Why did this happen? Mm-hmm. Sometimes we don't get that. Right. And I would say as officers, especially in these mass shooting situations, we're never going to really know why. Yeah. Because everything's pieced together based on what was he searching on the internet? What's he hearing? What's he feeling? Mm -hmm. What are his parents like? Because sometimes that does play in where they raise in a culture like Mm -hmm. this. But I think people need to be okay with giving it to God and just going, I don't know why. And Mm -hmm. I may never know why, at least not now. Yeah. And being able to step back away from that. And I feel that's, like a crucial role that our church can jump in and play. It's just tell them we don't know why. Yeah. And I think what you said is really true is we have to be careful because initial, the media seems to rarely get it right now and has very little desire um, to go back and say um, that they were wrong. I mean, there's just, there's just very, very, and it, and if and if the New York Times is wrong on page one, they're going to put it on page, you know, 75D 
their little apology that nobody's going to read. And so that's the problem. And so as the churches, we have to be careful. We have to get the information and then we have to respond accordingly. And, um, and that's okay. You know, I mean, you only have to respond immediately if you're there on scene, right? Those are the people, the immediate responders are the ones that need to respond immediately. It's not our bloggers and our people on Twitter or Facebook that need to respond and, and just yell at each other. Um, but if you just look at any article and you look down at the comment section, people just write dumb things and, and our initial responses are, are usually wrong. And so we need, we need as Christians to be right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what do you wish people knew uh, about what's happening as a result of these events? Like what, what is it that we're missing? You know, it, it's, I, I, I'm going to go back to, I'm going to go back to the, what we're missing is relationships. I know I've said that a few times, but that's really what we're missing. There's so many different things right. related to um, active killings, uh, mass shootings, mass killings. It, it's going to be one of those relationship things. Once we understand, as the public, understand what the root of everything is, I think there's going to be a whole lot less. Like I said before, we're not going to stop mass killings, but there's going to be less. I think people just don't they they just don't grasp what what I'm, what it, what it really is, what the root of the problem is, and 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 it's that relationship thing. It it is that um, knowing uh, this person is is. Maybe getting into a dark uh, mode, a dark personality. Right. You know these. You know this person, whether it's a coworker, whether it's a friend of yours, and they're just not. They're not doing well. Um, they're getting into more violent, more more anger. Just being there for them, helping them out, getting them some help. I think that's really what people are missing. Yeah. Absolutely. It's, it's about relationships. And even some of you who go to Sandals Church, you don't know anybody at Sandals Church. Mm. Let me say two things. Number one, that's a problem. Number two, that's sin. You're being disobedient to what God has said. You need to get on a team. You need to get in a group. You need to get in relationships. Um, and, and people aren't going to like that, but it's we're watchers in our society. We're not participators. And that's dangerous because we're separated from, you know, what's happening. And we need to spend time, you know, with people in prayer. Um, You know, last night I was in in community group. It was Labor Day weekend. We still met, you know, because I'm committed to that relationship. I'm committed to those people. We don't miss. We we sit and we work through difficult things. And, um, you know, here's the thing in the group, several people shared, they feel very lonely in areas of their life. They're in community group, they're in church, and they're still feeling lonely. And I just think loneliness is a symptom of our modern culture. And that's not God's fault. Um, her, I went to a training a long time ago when I was brand new. It was, um, it was an officer from the Musab in Israel. Yeah. And he talked about how whenever, you know, at that time when things were very violent, right. He said a couple things. He's like, in America, you're not going to be able to prevent a lot of these things from happening because you'll never wait four hours in line to get into a mall. Yes. It's just not going to happen. But he also talked about memorializing these things. And in some sick way, these people that are alone or feel like they're in community with people online that right. are blogging with them, that are you know discussing like, hey, here's what we're going to do. They feel like they'll be memorialized by them. And in a lot of these countries, they don't allow that to happen if they have a a bomb on a bus, they scoop it up and go. Yeah. 
And here it it feels like with the way the media keeps it going, they just kind of perpetuate it, that it does affect people. Um, you know, you, you talk to people that were of age during 9-11. You had a whole country that was in depression and nobody talked about it. Yeah. People couldn't figure out like, why am I sad? I was in California when that happened right. in New York. But these things affect yeah. everybody. You have people that are afraid to go out. We have people at church that are afraid to sit in certain areas because of yeah. what they're seeing on TV and what they're asking us, are you prepared to respond to this? Are you prepared for that? It it just heightens people's sensitivities. And yeah, I agree. It, you know, being able to talk through that with people and tell people, yeah, I understand your fear. That's valid. Absolutely. Guess what? Sadly, this could happen anywhere. Mm -hmm. Every day I pack up two little kids and send them off to school. Yeah. And it's a concern there too, but people just need to realize that it, it affects everyone. Oh, amen. And yeah. then if and if they're feeling it, yeah, be open about sharing it. Don't don't keep it in. Don't don't feel weird because yeah. you don't think anyone else is feeling that. Yeah. Well, we're all impacted by it. I mean, um, I mean, who who would have thought a church would have the head of security? You know, when I was a kid, I never would have thought that was a reality. And yet every church that I'm aware of that can have that does have that because you have to respond to that. And we are responsible for the well-being of the people who gather together for our for our worship services. And and Sandals Church has chosen a proactive response. But you talk, you know, you talked about how people feel about that. Man, I while I'm preaching, I get nervous every time somebody jumps up to go to the bathroom. I mean, literally every time somebody and I, I think people, I don't know why they stand the way that they do. Maybe they've held it as long as they can, but they bounce up. And if they're on that front row, man, you know, there's a second where I'm like, okay, how are we going to respond to that? And uh, so it's affected me, you know, and I don't have a big giant pulpit to hide behind. Maybe I should get one of those big bulletproof thing, but uh, you know, I got a, an iPad that's not going to block anything. So um, it's, it's made us all nervous. And, you know, whenever we have these mass shootings, you know, it's interesting after nine 11, the churches were packed after these shootings, our churches are empty because people are afraid and they're nervous. Mm. And, um, you know, again, so, you know, I think that, I think we need to hold our politicians accountable for what they say and how they say it. And that's on, on the left and the right. We need to hold media responsible for, for what they do. They, they fan the flames of this stuff. And, um, and I think one of the things that we need to do, and I said this in my sermon, I think at the 10 o'clock services, Nope. Everybody's talking about gun legislation. No one's talking about consequence. Like how do we as a culture uh, shame this? Like we don't, we think all shame is bad. I think shame is a good thing. How do we shame this? So how, how do we do things like when you do this, you know, there are ways to communicate shame. Um, you know, someone can lose their right to, to, a, to a burial site. Like you, you know, I mean, literally there are things that you can do. You get an unmarked grave. Um, you, you forfeit all of your monies, you, um, mandatory death penalty. I mean, there's all, there's things that you can do. And it's just interesting to me that nobody talks about consequence, but everybody talks about, you know, what, what, what do we need to do to prevent rather than what do we need to do to respond to this person? And, um, you know, cause these individuals, most of them are going to sit in a jail cell with three meals a day, never have to work for the rest of their life. And that's not a privilege that citizens get. And um, and I think that that's, that's problematic. It's absolutely problematic. And, you know, people may feel like, well, that's not Christian. They're, you know, the Bible demands that when someone takes the life, that their life must be forfeit. And 
It's in response to the value of life. And again, as we're drifting from Judeo-Christian values, we're falling away from really the sacredness of life, that there has to be a communal response to murder, that the community has a response to the family that's lost a loved one to deal with this person. And, um, you know, they, they need to deal with that and, 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 you know, enact legislation that spells out constitutionally what is cruel and what is unusual. Cause right now it's vague. And so, um, you know, the argument now is that there is cruel and unusual suffering in all death. Well, there probably ought to be a little suffering in death because I mean, you guys haven't committed crime, but I'm going to guess that when you die from natural causes, there's going to be some suffering there and we can't prevent all of that. And so it's just, our society, our society is so over the top in making sure we defend the rights of the accused and we've forgotten the victims in our culture. And we need to remember that and respond to that. And, um, and I think respond to it equally. I mean, I think by drawing all attention to these mass shootings, we're, we're, we're causing unstable people to want to be a twisted celebrity. You know, um, who's the guy that killed John Lennon? I forget his name. <clears throat> but when he was asked, why did you do it? He wanted to be famous. Mm. I mean, think about that. I want to be known as the person who did that. And it's like, well, we're, we're, we're helping that instability by drawing attention to it. And, and like what they do in Israel, you sweep it up, clean it up, and you move on. And you don't draw attention because that's often what they want. Mm-hmm. They want that attention. They want that notoriety. Um, and it's, it's a twisted, sinful, evil thing. It just is. And we need to make sure that we, we deal with that. Um, and I would just say as a church, if you have a loved one that you're concerned about, um, the mass shooting, uh, in Texas, his grandmother called the cops on him two weeks prior and said, I'm concerned about the, uh, the weapons that my grandsons bought. So she, she did the right thing. We need to be able to respond to that and say, okay, well, we need, we need to uh, take care of that. So if you have a loved one, somebody that you care about, somebody that, um, you know, you love, you're worried about what they're going to do. You have a responsibility to call the police and be specific. So here's what, you know, the grandma, so she said, my grandson's bought, you know, an AK-47. Here's the language you need to use. And I think he's mentally unstable. I'm concerned about his anger. I'm concerned about his rants. I'm concerned about what he's going to do with this gun. So it's not illegal, it's not illegal or a crime to own a gun. But if you know about somebody's motives, what I would say you have a responsibility even to your loved one to, to reach out and say, I'm concerned about what this person's going to do with this gun. Um, you know, so I, I would just encourage people to do that. And, and, and the best community are the people in close proximity to those people, because the police can't know about what everybody's going to do. Right. right. So it's that, it's that awareness, yeah. awareness of what's happening with uh, whether it's a relative or coworker um, and, and just trying to, you know, help them out in these situations. It's okay to to call the police and and let the police evaluate it. Is you know, see if there's something legitimate that we right. you know, that they can help. Um, but as long as you brought that attention to the police, and maybe that will help. So. Yeah, yeah, amen. Well, hey everybody, uh, back at the debrief. I'm here with my good friend Janita Tippis. We've been friends for a long time. College. Yeah, since college. Yeah. So, and we're both, what, 30? So, about, yeah, yeah. 10 years. Yeah. Yeah, 10, 12 years. <laughs> yeah. So, we've been friends for a long time. Uh, we're doing a, a special just on all these mass shootings, unfortunately, and what's going on. And unfortunately, you 
uh, were actually at one of these mass shooting events and praise God survived. Uh, but can you tell us where you were and what happened? And um, then we'll kind of start from there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, myself and five friends, so six of us total, were at the Route 91 concert. Mm. Um, we were at um, the front right of the stage. Right, which we, is the worst part. Yes, yeah. yes. We were about 10 people back and about um, probably 12 people from... Um, a fenced area that you can kind of see that kind of ran through the middle of the crowd. Right. Um, and that's when you see the photos of people jumping that lower fence. That's what that fence was. Um, we were just enjoying Jason Aldean. Um, someone set off a firework or like a popper kind of thing. And um, so when things first started happening, we originally thought that's what that was more of. Um and then um, my friend's husband said, the guy next to you is shot. You need to get down. And then that's when the rapid fire started. Mm. Um, and so she grabbed me, pulled me down. I kind of grabbed our friends that were next to us. They went down. My husband stood a while longer because he's an observer and he wanted to know what was going on until I grabbed him and pulled him on top of me um, or behind me. He kind of climbed on my head Um and we actually had to stay there through all of the shots except for the very last round. Mm. Um, originally, and I'm a pretty controlled person, um, I started like yelling, we're going to die. Mm. We're going to die. And Bill was like, we're fine, babe. We're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. Something flipped in my head and I turned into what I call crazy church lady. Started screaming prayers. Like my throat hurt later. Oh. I just kept just crying out for them, um, for the people that were there. Um, we obviously heard horrendous things. Um, I kept hearing the bullets hit that metal gate and, um, that actually became a source of comfort because I knew I was still alive. Mm. Um, I positioned my body cause I decided I wanted to get kind of hit in the lower half since we knew which direction we didn't realize they were coming from up high. We thought it was, you know, someone had come into the concert, um, and moved my foot so that I was kind of over the head of some stranger, because I decided that at least it would go through my leg before right. it would hit her. Um, That's terrifying that you had that much time to think. It was a lot of time. Right. And it went from sheer panic, and I'll never say I was not panicked, um, but you know, I've got three kids at home. We all had kids at home, and these are my very best friends and my husband that's with me. Um some point this odd peace came over me of not being okay with it, but knowing that we were going to be okay. Mm. I didn't know that that meant we were all going to get out. Right. I just knew that we were going to be, it was going to be okay. And I stopped the panic and, um, and then a young girl turned in front of me and said, will you please pray for me too? And, um, we just laid there and when there was kind of the pause in the gunfire, um, one of Jen would kind of do roll call. Are you okay? Are you okay? Are everybody still here? Yes, we're okay. And then it would start again. And we were just kind of silent at the in-between during the actual like gunshots, um, then finally enough people had kind of cleared out 
to where there was a longer pause. The guys got up and they said, we can run. Let's go. Um, We climbed over the first set of fences. Um, Bill helped me over. He was climbing over the second step. I panicked a little bit and started running towards the stage because I felt like I was taking too long. Um, Some random guy heard him call out for me and just grabbed me and threw me over the fence. Um, We started running again. Another round of gunfire happened. Bill got on top of me. We felt very exposed at that time because there was like no one around us. Um, Then we were able to kind of get into some tents that actually happened to be the last round of gunfire. We didn't know that at the time. Um, Hmm. And we climbed, Bill shoved me under a fence. Some guys helped me get under a fence. He ran around. Um, We were able to meet back up. Um, And then we hid on the other side of what would have been the tour buses. and at that point, I jumped on social media and because my phone started to go off and I just said, um, we got out. Mm-hmm. I was worried about my kids reading and hearing um, and not knowing what happened to mom. I didn't know how what was next. Yeah. So I just said, we got out. Please pray. Not everyone's okay. Mm-hmm. And um, and then we made, we had separated from our friends. So then it took us a while to kind of reconnect with them um, on our way to connect with them. We walked through what I can literally just not describe as anything other than a war zone. Yeah. Um, the pictures really are just sure. fractions yeah. of what we saw. Um, and um, I came across one um, victim that just really got my to mm. my, um, she was young and I just instantly thought of my young daughter mm. who was at home. Um, she'd already passed. Um, I was really had a hard time. She was in a wheelbarrow. And um, they just said, she's gone. There's nothing we can do. They were working on getting people Hmm. that um, could be helped still out. And I just, at that moment, I hadn't cried or anything, but I broke down Mm. and I wanted to stay with her. I wanted to tell her mom, you know, that I was there. And Bill said, we've got three kids to get home to. We don't know this is over. And so I start crying and um, just hysterically as we're trying to get to our friends. And this lady comes out. And grabs me and says, you know, honey, you don't need to cry. Stop crying. Jesus loves you. It's going to be okay. Yeah. And my husband grabbed her and said, we know, move out of the way. We're getting out yeah. of here. You know, it was like, now is not the time. Yeah. And we just pressed on. And uh, yeah, we were Jesus our... has stupid people that love him. Right. Yeah. And that was in that moment. Right. right. It was like, okay, that's Stup- not. Stupid people get to go to heaven too. <laughs> that's not helpful. No. Um, not in this moment. Um, and so we were able to meet up with our friends. Um, we never made it back to our room until... Um, the next night, we started getting text messages that there were bombs and additional shooters and sure. um, just things were not safe. Um, the guys decided that we needed to not be with the group. They were kind of hurting everybody in one direction. We hid in another hotel up on the right. 12th floor um, the rest of the night. Finally, mm-hmm. someone came out of their room and kind of took us in, gave us water, like let us charge our phones, use the bathroom, that kind of thing. And then in the next morning, we were able to make our way back. Um, so you spent the night in some stranger's... Mm-hmm. Hotel room. Yep. Yeah. 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 I just think that, you know, before I talk with you, I talk with two police officers. And I think that there's a, in the age of Twitter and social media, you know, so much of the reporting you were getting was false. It was not yeah. true. And it causes panic. And, um, you know, we had a situation where there was the mass shooting in El Paso and Sandals was criticized for not immediately responding. And part of the problem is you just don't know what's true and what's not true. 
And the best thing to do is, is to wait, to take a step back, to not contribute to misinformation, which people seem to just report, 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 report. And it's usually wrong uh, and not helpful um, and oftentimes more terrifying. And so, you know, let law enforcement do their job. And so I just want to say thank you for, you know, coming on the show. I'm so sorry that that happened to you. Um, you know, I didn't know about the shooting cause I wasn't on, on, on I wasn't watching television or anything, but, uh, my friend who's a police officer called me and he said, there's a mass shooting and my wife is there. And he started crying on the phone and, uh, you know, this guy's big guy, police officer, 30 years. And I, w- I was like, wow. And so that's when I realized it was a, it was a voicemail on my phone. And I, I just thought, wow. And so it was deep. This event, I think for our church was deeply personal because we had so many people from our church that were there. There were six in your group. How many of the six go to Sandals? All of them. All of them. Okay. So mm-hmm. we had, we had tons of people from Sandals Church. Um, you know, I did funerals that whole week. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just, it was, it was awful. Um, what do you think? You mentioned one lady that was harmful. We need to give her grace in the moment because she was probably in shock. But what were some of the things that Christian said to you that were, were just not helpful? Was there anything that was harmful? And then thirdly, was there anything that was helpful? to you, right? So we don't want to just focus on the negative, but what were some, some dumb things that people said to you? Obviously, Jesus is going to make this okay while you're looking at a teenager dead in a wheelbarrow. That's not the appropriate time to say that. Right. Um, gosh, there were so many things that people had the best of intentions in saying, um, especially right after. And then honestly, because of the way that this particular shooting laid out where there was no real like reason or right. cause or letter. Um, so um, this the whole conspiracy theory right. and all of that, that was actually really hurtful. Mm. Um, people who uh, wanted to make it about religion and politics and, oh, it's because you're Christians. Oh, it's because you like country music or you love right. America and all that. And it's like, oh my gosh, like, yeah. wh- why? And um we sat down, um, Bill and I especially sat down and we had to tell our kids everything, mm. you know, that had happened. And we just, how do you tell your kids that, you mm. know, they both lost, almost lost both their parents. Yeah. Um, we decided it was evil mm-hmm. and we just attributed it to evil and it really didn't matter to mm. us what his reason was. Well, I think it's important. And let me interject there. Um, and this, I think this is an important theological and philosophical principle for Christians is that evil doesn't need a reason, it just needs an opportunity. And so that's part of our society's unhealth is, I, I, A, I don't think that our, as a society as a whole, I think we have a hard time believing in evil anymore, right? right, right. All the Disney evil characters from our childhood all have backstories now. Mm-hmm. So they weren't just evil, there's a reason, right? There's a backstory. And so um, evil doesn't need a reason, it just needs an opportunity. And this guy is evil. He was looking for an opportunity to enact harm and, you know, evil just does what evil does. And that's always been a part of humanity. And people want to attribute it to religion, to politics, to whatever. But evil doesn't need a reason. And so evil people gravitate to po- to politics because that's an opportunity. They gravitate to religion because that's an opportunity. But evil just is looking for a way to do harm and wreak chaos. And um, that's just so sad that, you know, people 
Yeah, and I think that's part of our coping. And I'll ask that with you know our counselors in the, in the next session why we do that. Mm-hmm. But it's like our minds have to make sense, and that can drive you crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you make sense of a senseless act? You know, he harmed people that he didn't know that had never harmed him, and he destroyed countless lives. Mm-hmm. So and, and enacted terror upon people. So okay, so that was not helpful. No, not at all. Anything hurtful? Um. I would say the immediate, um, it's, you just got to dust yourself off. You know, I'll be honest, when Bill and I first were on our way home that next morning, we were driving home. I honestly, and now I know I was in shock, but I was like, I'm fine. I'm going to work tomorrow. Like this really was like crazy, but we're thankful we're here. Like we didn't Mm. really have, we couldn't make sense of it all. What are you on Enneagram? You know? I'm uh, one and then very high six. Okay, okay. So I have a tendency to do exactly what you just said. Okay. Minimize my feelings and push them down. I'm not one or six, but okay. I do that. Yeah, I and I really just um, just felt like, I think it's the mom part of me. Like I gotta get back to life. Like yeah. let's just move on. And, um, and Bill too was like, yeah, that was crazy. And it wasn't until we like got home, sat the kids down, kind of told, cause we just told them yeah. like, we'll tell you when we get home. You know, like, we're not going to talk. Mom and dad are fine. We're coming home. We don't want to talk about it on the phone. We'll sit home and tell you. And and then we kind of, like, really that first day, I think it was just, again, shock. And it was, you know, um, when your boss is like, don't come into work. You're fine. I'm like, okay, maybe I'll take a few days. Um, The next day was when I felt like, well, the adrenaline, like, I physically was... Like oh, drain. I, can't imagine. I couldn't yeah. move. Um, I was so sore, um, and I couldn't figure out why, you know. And um, it was the yeah. So pick up and carry on. Yeah. Like, um, which I already felt, but it was when other people expected it. The second part of that was a whole second group that was not ready for me to like start getting better. If that makes sense. Like they wanted to like dwell on it. Oh, tell us, Oh, what was this? How was that? You know, Mm. I'm like, I'm not there yet either. Like I felt, yeah. And all six of us did that at a different pace. Mm -hmm. You know, we had, I'm fortunate that I had a community to kind of go through it with. Yeah. Um, We get together on a regular basis. We did then we talked about it. We hashed through things. Um, over and over again, but it was everybody's urgency for me to sit in it and kind of want the gruesome details, if you will, or, okay, now it's just, you're fine. Like you're fine. So get up, get up and carry on. Um, and I think everybody has to do that at their own pace. Right. And, um, so that wasn't helpful. Um, Helpful things are that we have a wonderful thing here called soul care. Yeah. And I didn't think I needed it. Um, and it was when I came back to work, they were like, you need to sit down and talk yeah. to soul care. Um, okay. You know, which um, prompted me to uh, see a counselor and kind of just process things. Um, I really feel like the six of us, we've come through it well. Yeah. Considering, but I feel like it's because we kind of had a plan. We all decided that, um, not right away, but yeah. after, you know, after a little bit of time of processing that... Um, this happened for a reason. And while God would have never wanted that to happen to us, he was there in the midst with us. Yeah. We very much felt that. I know that that's that mm. peace that we had. And we knew that in some way um, it was going to change us. And we wanted to make sure that that change was for the better. 
yeah. and some positives, even though we still carry a lot of negatives and a lot of scars. Yeah. So I think having a plan changed things and having um, a really great community and people around us to encourage us, help us not push us, um, not push each other um, to process and heal. And then those that weren't on board with that plan were probably the most hurtful and the oh. biggest hindrance. Okay. How has it been for you? Um, do you have any fear about, cause Sandals is a big church. So there's big crowds, there's big people. Have you had any issues with connecting in worship, being free? Do you find that you're, I mean, you know, how has it impacted you in just in worship? Is that, cause I know some of the people that were there, they have a real hard time uh, mm-hmm. feeling boxed in. They like want to know where the, the exit signs are. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're very tentative. Did mm-hmm. you go through any of that? Absolutely. Um, initially interesting. We had, um, a worship time here and everybody kind of pressed in on the stage and it was probably about two months after. Okay. Oh, I was out. Like wow. uh, that was too much. Um, everybody around singing, um, that was really, really hard, um, but also something that I wanted to make myself do yeah. because I didn't always want to be afraid. Yeah, um, I can't go anywhere without knowing the exits, right. clear paths. Um, I don't like being like, we go to open, we went to a rodeo a couple weeks ago and we're looking and I'm like, there's hills. There could be like, we instantly, things that I never would have known before. There's a lot of open areas like this is not okay. Where's the exit? Where are we going to go? So yeah, I have an escape route for everything now. Um, Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That could be your six too though. Oh, for sure. Yeah. 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 But I never thought like that before. Okay. Okay. Um, Before, I mean, being where we were at, at that concert, I never thought like, oh my gosh, there's all these people crowded around me. How am I going to get out? We were just in the crowd and at the end of the concert, we were going to shuffle out. Um, Now you've been able to go back to concerts though. I think that's remarkable. We did that intentionally. Okay. It was really, really hard. Did you go together as the group? We did. Wow. We did. Um, we decided that, again, we weren't going to let him win. And um, he obviously wanted to cause terror and fear. And um, so we uh, probably about four months later decided we were going to book a concert. Okay. Um, and we went. It was really, really difficult. Yeah. Um, but it was really, really great and freeing at the same time because... Um, well, I'm a high three. So you didn't win. You didn't win. I'm not going to let you win. And that's what I wanted for myself, for my kids. I didn't want my kids to think, oh, bad things happen. And then you're afraid to do that thing forever. Um, We had to pick up and do, it's what we loved. We that's what we do together. That Mm. was our hobby. We still do. We love Mm. to go to concerts. Mm. Um, They're very different. They don't look the same. We don't um, they're not as carefree as they were, but we still go okay. and, um, and we just keep pressing on. So what would you say to those of us who haven't been at an event like that, which I pray that the vast majority of, of us are never at an event like that, but what would you say to us who, I mean, the, the bottom line is we're naive to it and God, thank God we are right. Mm-hmm. What would you say to us as we would want to lovingly reach out to you, help you, what would be th- what were the things that would be the most helpful to hear from us? 
Um, I don't know. That's that's a tough question. It but, is because because we don't know what to say. Do you remember when I saw you after the shooting? Mm-hmm. I just hugged you. I didn't. I had no idea what to say. I just was like, I I, I had no words, but I was glad you were okay. And uh, I just remember you crying. Did that happen? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I was glad that you were okay because I saw you after I started meeting with people who lost husbands, kids, mm-hmm. uh, friends. And I started to realize, you know, it's one thing when you see it on TV, when you start meeting with the families and the children and you're just like, oh my gosh. And so to see you and know you that you were there and to know where you were, I was like, wow. So, so I was grieving a little bit and, and grateful that you were, you were okay. Mm-hmm. So, um, Honestly, in a situation like that, I think nothing is better than something. Um, Wait, nothing? Saying nothing. Okay. The hug. Yeah. The, we love you. We're so glad you're here. Yeah. Um, Because like you said, you can't, it's the people who try to identify and try to, oh my gosh, you know, I would have done this or, or, or those questions. Those were great. Well, what would you have done differently? What do you mean? What would I have done yeah. differently? Like, yeah. I don't. I don't know how you want me to respond to that. Yeah. You know, or um, were you scared? No, we were good. You know, yeah. like uh. those just silly, silly questions. Um, the things that felt more supportive was just like, mm. "We love you," and I'm sorry that you went through this. And you know, do you need anything? We didn't need anything, but those were so much more appreciated than any kind of, again, wanting the story. If I'm not ready to share it with you, um, which I wasn't at the beginning, yeah. um, or wanting to try to be a part of it or identify it. Um, something that was a little bit difficult and hard to process was for some reason, s- people who weren't there looked at it as some kind of like club to be a part of. That's weird. Um, it was really weird. Yeah. Um, people who weren't there were wearing Survivor or, you know, like, um, wearing Route 91 shirts, like, and, hmm. you know, they'd go to concerts and they'd wear, like, Route 91 things, which a lot of people do, but you weren't there. Yeah. Um, I now, like, look at it and I go, well, they're looking for community. Yeah. And I'm like, but this is a club you don't want to be a part no. of. Like, there's other places to find community. Yeah. Um, but that was really hard um, to see people just think, like, it's this cool thing you can, oh, we're Route 91. And it's hmm. like, no. And I wish yeah. I wasn't. I think that's actually, I think what you're talking about is actually, this would be a great debrief episode. People want to identify with victims and they want to be a part of that, whether that whether they're directly affected or not. And I think that that's bizarre, mm-hmm. unhealthy and wrong. Um, but, um, and even sick. I mean, there might be some people who are like, yeah, I wish I was there. It's like, you have no idea what you're talking about because those bullets were indiscriminate mm-hmm. and they went where they went and they killed who they killed. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's terrible and tragic. And, um, that's just a bizarre, it's a bizarre, um, you know, people even go so far, like politicians will make up their war stories. This happens all the time. Right. And then you find out there's a whole organization that goes around outing people who never went to war. It's crazy. Right. right. So, um, yeah. Well, I appreciate you. And I, you know, um, what do you, what do you feel like? Have you come to any kind of sense of why people do this? Did, or have you just gone and like chalked it up to, I have no idea. Where have you gone mentally as you've processed what this guy did? Um, I don't, I mean, everyone has 
every shooting has had a different background. Um, I think the uniqueness of ours is that there isn't. You know, mm-hmm. they've associated the, you know, um, different ones with high schools have been breakups right. mm-hmm. or, yeah. you know, political reasons. And um, they've never found out, at least we don't know, why he mm-hmm. did what he did. And again, I think there's a piece and not of just accepting that, it, like I said in the beginning, it was evil. And he... Um, didn't care about me, didn't care about my kids, didn't care about all the other people that were there, the lives that were going to be changed. Mm-hmm. He just wanted to inflict harm. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's helpful because there's, I, I have to accept the fact I didn't do anything to deserve it. Sure. There was no reason. And if I tried to decide like, oh, it's because I'm an American or because I'm this, like, sh- you know, all of those things. There's literally no reason. Yeah. I w- we were just at a concert yeah. with friends having fun. So thank you so much for coming today. I know I love you. And uh, I'm just so proud of you, how you've healed and you've just been a champ through this process. And, um, you know, you're still working ministry at Sandals Church, still a great mom, still married, still plugging away. Just love you and appreciate you. And I know this is super vulnerable. So thanks for being on here today. But I think it's important that, especially at Sandals, our debrief audience, that we know this just isn't something that's out there. This is something that's deeply personal to quite a few people at Sandals Church who have been affected firsthand by this. And it's not something that they saw on TV, but it's something that they lived. So love you. Thanks. I'm glad you're here. Thank you. So love you guys. Appreciate what you do. Um, Why don't you both just take a second and describe kind of who you are and what you do at Sandals Church. I know both of you have been on the debrief before, but... Uh, so Brett Ryan, uh, I am the pastor of soul care and the family ministries pastor as well. Uh, and just a little bit of my background and, uh, have a little back, bit of a background in counseling and, uh, a degree in clinical psychology. Right so. on. So you're going to be psychoanalyzing me the whole time. Or you done. And perhaps say, changing your done. church membership. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. It's official. He's insane. Yeah. yeah. My wife would give a hearty amen to that. All mm. right. Uh, Dan Crowley, I'm the pastor of spiritual formation here. Uh, my background is in spiritual formation and soul care. Okay, explain what spiritual formation is. Yeah, so basically it's how we grow to become like Jesus. Mm-hmm. So we write a lot of content. We we help walk people through seasons of spiritual growth. Yeah, amen. Yeah, and I'm still trying to get into your group, so I'm yeah. trying to find. They won't give me the address, but... Uh, Do you know how many eights are in my group? Like my, my community group is a heavyweight fight every Monday mm. night. It is brutal. Sounds good. Yeah, dude, it is. There's no lack of clarity or what people feel. Yeah. yeah we, got, we got some eights in my group. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. If, you're, if your group is boring, get an eight. Recruit an eight. Yeah. Yeah. Or get a three. Yeah. We'll get a lot done. Yeah. We got well, a lot of three. we lie. <laughs> um, so super glad you guys are here. Mm. Um, our conversation is light. We're going to go deep, uh, maybe even a little dark. It's challenging. Mm. What is your guys' overall perspective? Um, We'll start with you, Dan, and then we'll move this way. Uh, Just in the rise of mass shootings in America, I mean, really this whole thing, for me in the modern era, and I don't know if this is factually true, but in my lifetime, it really started with Columbine. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I remember vividly uh, watching uh, midday television. Um, I forget her name. She was the Ellen DeGeneres of the 90s. Uh, had a TV show. She's crying mm. as these kids are trying to escape the library mm. in Columbine, Colorado. And and it just seems like since then, you know, we hit 9-11 uh, and we just keep kind of rolling with these, these mass events. Uh, so terrorism, uh, especially mass shootings, and I, I would qual- qualify that as terrorism. Mm. Uh, it's just domestic in its form. So it's homegrown, so to speak. 
Why do you guys think that there's just such a rise in mass shootings? I mean, really, it's it's you're an I generation. You're a little a bit younger than us, but it's our generation that's really kind of produced this. I'm going to lash out in a massive way against people that I feel anger at that I don't even know in many cases. So yeah. why, why do you think it is? Yeah, I think there's a general <laughs> angst in our society that is just continues to grow and grow and grow that is fed by all of our forms of media. I mean, remember when we were when we were kids, our media came either from the newspaper or the six o'clock news, right? Because right. we weren't allowed to stay up to 11 o'clock news, mm-hmm. right? So if we even watched the news or paid attention to it, that's where we heard it. But today, I mean, it is, it is at the touch of a button and it is pushed, you know, upon us in essence, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, multiple times in an hour, you mm-hmm. know, and, it, and what, it, what it's doing, I think, is just driving this general sense of angst and angriness, you know, in our society. Yeah, and uh, I think people are having a hard time with it. A real and, hard time. And this with is it. what's so interesting. This is the safest time it has ever been in the history of humanity to be a person. There's, it's not even close, and yet we're the most fearful and anxious we've ever been as a people. Right. I mean, you know, when they compare us, uh, I don't know if you saw this information, but they compare the anxiety scale to a mental patient in the 1950s to a person, to an average person today. And the average person today scores higher on the anxiety scale than the mental patient in the 1950s. And you gotta remember in the 50s, you're doing nuclear drills, remember? Mm, so like, right. we gotta test and get under the desk because this desk is going to not only hold your pencil, but save you from a nuclear blast. Right, right. So um, it, it's just crazy. We're, we're so, so anxious. And the media seems completely unwilling to just stop throwing whatever whatever is the absolute worst event on any given day in our face, nonstop. You know, the message is people are dying, 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 dying in multiple ways. Um, so I think that's part of it um, for sure. Uh, what do you think about relationships? Because part of your job is to draw people into community right. and the police officers that we had on prior to you guys really, really talked about just the disconnect. Like people are just not connected in any way. They're isolated, they're alone with their devices. And they're with their angst and they're driven to act out. What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I just think we don't have, in, in, in large, we don't know how to relate to one another. I mean, you said it this weekend in the message, you know, we are digitally connected, but we're relationally isolated, yeah. right? And I mean, I see it in the young people today, especially, they just don't know how to carry on a conversation, right? Right, without looking at their phone or, or whatnot. I mean, watching, watching, sometimes watching my own children make a phone call mm-hmm. is painful. Yeah. Because they just don't even know how to talk to somebody, you know? Yeah. Um, and I've tried to work really hard at helping them to do that, but it's rough. Mm. It's rough, you know? We just don't know how to connect to one another. Yeah. Yeah, I was sharing with the guys, we had a party over at our house with a group of teenagers, and we played a game where they had to interact, and there was no, there was no, no screen involved. Mm. Not, not, a, not an iPad, not an iPhone, not a TV screen. And the kids were so excited and enthralled. I actually had to call an end to it because they just don't experience that. Mm-hmm. And this was for a period of several hours. You know, think about that. Like yeah. they've never had this where we're walking around, we're interacting, we're taking in information, we're, we're relating, we're, it, it, was, it was really, really interesting. And, and the kids were great, but they don't, they don't have that in their life. Right. And it's just, it just was so interesting to watch. Well, think about the games we used to play yeah. as children. We played them together out in the street in community, yeah. right? I mean, and we were very much interacting with one another's people, yeah. right? Now the games that are played today are in front of a screen. Yeah. They're often violent, you know, and there's, they just don't, they're not connect. I mean, they might be connecting with someone online, mm. 
They might know yeah. them, but they might not. Right. Well, think about, mm. and I don't know, did you watch Mr. Rogers as a kid? No. no. So we watched Mr. Rogers yep. when we came home from school. And my, ch- my, my early childhood was very volatile. So my mom and dad uh, had a lot of, lot of major, major problems and we're talking about ending the marriage. So that was, you know, my f- four years old to six year old kind of in that period, my parents could probably be more specific about the timeline. But I think about coming home after school and watching Mr. Rogers mm-hmm. and think about his opening song. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was soul care. Right. You know, he was for children and our whole generation. And I don't know if you know this, but they're coming out with a movie. Mm-hmm. And I watched the preview and I had such anxiety. And I turned to my wife and I said, I hope they don't screw this up. Because our, our, we love to turn great people. We love to tell, well, and he also was into, you know, right. you know, he was a methamphetamine addict and he was this and he was that. And, mm-hmm. and in the movie, they actually bring that up. The guy who's interviewing him, the wife says, please don't ruin him for me. And I think what the actual story of the movie is, is he was everything that he was. You know, he, he was, he, it wasn't a character. He mm. was Mr. Rogers. Right. And I think we have a whole generation that doesn't have that, mm. you know? Mm. I mean, doesn't have that. And um, there's a scene in the movie, I'm getting chills of a bunch of black children on a train in New York City. And he's on the train and they're singing the neighborhood song to him. And it, apparently it was a real event that happened, but he was able to transcend race, right. transcend age and offer peace to Latino children, black children, white children, poor children, you know, kids like me that was going through a tough time. I actually had to repeat kindergarten. Hmm. Um, and uh, we don't have that. Like we, where's our Mr. Rogers? Right. Where, where's that? Where's that thread of you're loved? It's okay. Let's check the mail. Talk to the train. You know, yeah. uh, see who knocked at the door. You know, right. uh, and now we're terrified when anyone comes to our door. Right. And um, it, it's just, I, I just think we're. This is now that this we're, we're in an age now where people don't have that, and we're at each other's throats. We question everything. What's everyone's motives? You know, everyone's evil. Everyone's mm-hmm. despicable. Um, you know, and especially those who disagree with us right. politically or right. see, see something, you know, slightly different religiously. And it's just a really scary time relationally. And I think the good news is the church has a great role to play in bringing us together. I mean, we just finished mm-hmm. the book of Galatians. In Christ, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, you know, for we are all one in the body of Christ. Right. Like we come together despite our ethnic differences despite our gender differences, we come together and we worship Christ. And that's such a unifying thing. Mm. And so I think the church can provide hope for that, but man, the church is dying. I mean, mm. and that's why people say, well, why do you need to plant 500 churches? And it's because 5,000 if, if ended, you know? So why do you, I know I talked a lot, so I do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's good. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So I would have to agree just, you know, in general with what everybody's saying uh, with the idea of, we're the most connected generation or, you know, uh, most connected we've ever been, but we're the most isolated we've ever been. Right. right? And so when you look at some of these people that do some of these things, a lot of it is, uh, there's a lot of isolation that happens Mm -hmm. in that. 
Um, I think another thing that we think of as well is, you know, today we're the most self-focused we've ever been. Mm -hmm. So it's all about me. It's all about my wants, my needs, my troubles, my tragedy. It's not about the community around me. It's not about other. And and we become so self-focused that we turn inward. And when we turn inward after isolation has already occurred, now I make my own reality. Mm-hmm. Now I make my own vengeance. I make my own resentment. I make my own truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, now I'm I I am uh, forgotten by the world around me, but yet um, I hate the world around me, mm-hmm. right? And so um, when we look at that, I think you know why we've seen an increase. You know, I, I definitely think it's from isolation. I think it's from a lack of knowing how to interact. Um, I think it's from a a very big push to be uh, self-focused. Mm. I think also <clears throat> we're growing uh, kids in a world where they don't know how to handle hardship. Mm. Right. They don't know how to handle disappointment and conflict and uh, the fact that uh, you can't be anything you want to be. Right. There are limitations in this world. Um, and because of that, there, there's somewhat of a, a affect regulation uh, kind of drop where I don't know how to handle hard emotions because I thought everything was going to be good. Right. And so when those hard things come, how do I handle that? What do I do with that? And, mm-hmm. and we've really done a bad job in uh, helping kids understand how to go through hardship mm-hmm. uh, as they grow up. And so I think a lot of those factors, you know, play into some of this stuff. So, but also with this rise of victimhood. Mm-hmm. And I think that people don't correlate the connection between when I see myself as a victim and the moral evil that I allow myself to commit. So when I'm a victim, there there, there should be a psychological study done between the connection of I'm a victim and so I have to lash out. I have to do this and I give myself permission to do what I do. Um, You know, like, you know, I think Palestinians, many of them are very, very good people, but collectively because they see themselves as the victim uh, in the conflict between uh, them and Israel, they allow themselves permission to blow up children on a school bus. Mm. See what I'm saying? So things that I think, I don't think anybody, including Palestinians, if you ask them, is it is it ethical or moral to kill children while they go to school? I think most Palestinians would say, no, that's that's a bad thing. And yet it's something that's done because they see themselves as a victim to uh, the state of Israel. And, um, and then, and that's not to say that Palestinians don't have a point. I'm just simply saying you, you, you give in to atrocities when you see yourself as without a voice and, and many times create an evil that's far greater than the one you're enduring. Mm. And, um, and that's, and that's tragic. And, and I just see that in our culture. Um, many of these people who are sick, who do these acts of evil, they feel as if they have no other choice, mm. but to act out because they've been wronged or wounded. Um, you know, these students at this high school have have shamed me, have hurt me, have wounded me. And so I'm going to, you know, the Columbine letters, I don't know if you've read them. I mean, they talk about just th- th- this disgust and disdain for these strangers that don't know them, mm-hmm. that don't see them, that don't, you know, and, and I mean, for anybody who just can't agree at all, and I lost you at Palestinian, go and read those letters. I mean, it's 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 bizarre. You know, I mean, for the most part, most people at that school didn't know them Mm. and they got sucked into this world of hurt. Mm. And, you know, we say at church, hurt people, hurt people. 
Well, you put you put an AK forty seven in your hands, and then now that's spread, mm. uh, you know, f- vaster. And then I think the other thing is, um, you know, like the shooting that we just had here in Riverside, drugs, methamphetamines. Uh, when people are on drugs, and, and and you say that shouldn't matter, any drug that numbs your consciousness, that 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 you're not operating at your 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 fullest ability right. when there's mm-hmm. conflict or situations, mm-hmm. things can escalate quickly. Um, and I, and I think that's a huge problem. You know, this weekend, it's Labor Day weekend, this weekend, over 30 people were shot, um, in Chicago in mm-hmm. one weekend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, I think there were six fatalities, but over 30 shot in one weekend. Um, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely crazy. And, and these people that are shooting one another, I think feel justified. Um, I don't think most, and you're the, you're the shrink. I don't think most people will will do something that they don't believe in mm. so that you have to, yeah, you, you have to find some moral ground for why I'm doing. It. And I, and I think be, seeing yourself as a victim is that moral place that you come to and you may very well be a victim. I'm not, I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that that's not true. I'm just saying it's morally dangerous for yourself and others mm. to see yourself. Um, and Jesus for us as Christians is the model father, forgive them mm. for they know not what they do mm-hmm. on the cross. Jesus is the victim extending grace. And um, so I think that's tough, but so we, you guys would agree disconnecting relationships, um, just unhealth. Um, I think we're now the third generation of Americans that have really experimented with drugs and it's, it's, it's a mess. Well, and it's prevalent. Yeah. It's, it's prevalent. So prevalent. Um, you know, and, and all of those things are creating a very, very chaotic mm society. I think our news media, I think we, I didn't talk about it with you guys, but I think our politicians, I think Donald Trump's rhetoric is inappropriate uh, many times, but I think the left is, is just as inappropriate. And, and unfortunately the media, um, you know, tends to focus on what Trump says that's incorrect and, and he should be called accountable for whatever he says sure. that's, but, mm-hmm. but we ignore completely, you know, what, what the left says and we have to watch we have to watch so carefully, you know, our language and, um, and really, you know, Paul says, I forget which book of the Bible it is, but he says, I th- it's gotta be to Timothy or Titus because he says, I pray that you would, you would be kept from unreasonable men. Hmm. That's the hmm. King James version of it. And I think we're living in a society where people are not reasonable. Hmm. Yeah. You know, uh, I automatically make assumptions based upon race, based upon gender, based upon sexuality, uh, and based upon political preference and ideology. Mm. And I'm unwilling to be reasonable about any of this. Um, and the second right that you disagree, I protest. Everybody protests, stop, mm. you know, you know, st- stop going to Chick-fil-A because this guy who's 90 years old supports traditional view of marriage. Well, what the heck is he gonna support? He's 90. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I mean, yeah. I, I, so that's one of the things we're gonna talk about in relational remix. We don't talk about... Um, and I'm seeing this now as, as an almost 50 year old at Sandals. I'm right. Well, I'm not in the middle. I'm towards the older spectrum. And we're having these millennials that are coming up. And we're not just different ethnically. We're not just different racially. We're sorry, that's the same word, racially. We're not just different with gender. There's an age gap. Right. Mm-hmm. And the way we view the world and the way that we see the world, relationships are messy. Yep. Yeah. It's hard to interact and, um, you know, to, to, to try to find common ground. Yeah. when we have all these differences. And and that's what makes America this great experiment. No nation in the history of the world has gathered together 
based upon a fizzle of a philosophical statement, mm. right? I want to be free and I want to pursue my own life, liberty, and happiness. Mm. So yeah. it's, it's tough and, and, and it may not work. Yeah. So. And, and what you're saying, right? The, the victim. So, <clears throat> you know, the psychologists and, and the field of psychology have tried to do a lot of these kind of studies. Unfortunately, a lot of people, when they do things like this, they end up getting killed um, or really? killing themselves. Um, wow. To where we can't study them, right? We can't do a lot of interviews and things like that. Oh, you mean when people act out? When people these, act these yeah. things out, they usually do it in a murder suicide or they get killed. Um, and so we can't study, you know, what are a lot of these things. So they've been able to get a few people where they've been able to study. And a lot of them have found, you know, some of the common themes, even though it's usually very complex, is, you know, there's usually bullying that goes on mm -hmm. towards these people when they're younger. Um, the, you said the word victim, right? So some of them see themselves as a victim. Some of them see themselves as a justice bringer because what they could do is they dehumanize and they collectively look at other as you are this, these people that are okay with me being on the outside, right? They, mm -hmm. and it's that isolation, right? And so now it's not just the victim. It's now I'm the justice bringer because I've collected the, in, the injustices yeah. done towards me, done towards others. And this is, this is to bring that. And really it's, it's, again, it goes back to that understanding of, people don't know how to deal with these things. Well, there's actually been uh, people that are pretty leading in the field of these areas where they're talking about, we need to educate people on forgiveness, mm -hmm. right? So it goes back yeah, yeah. to the Christocentric understanding of forgiveness, yeah. right? That we need to educate people on how to forgive because these are things that ruminate and grow mm -hmm. to this, this revengeful ideal, you know? Yeah, and, and if so not, um, you know, like you think about the rise of Hitler, Hitler felt wounded, felt mm -hmm. mistreated and and felt like he needed to stand up for the German people. And there were enough German people that identified with that, that they were able to create the Jews as the other mm. and treat them well, lower than animals mm. right. and do, I mean, exterminate 6 million of them. I mean, think yeah. about that. It's yeah. the dehumanizing, it's the yeah. objectifying. Yeah. I, you know, most people, most people don't want to go and hurt another human if they're in that right thought, right? Mm -hmm. That's right. But the moment that I don't see them as a human, but I see them as in the way, I see them as an object, I see them as a proponent of my pain, I, I now can look at them with different eyes and carry out things that I shouldn't, mm -hmm. right? And and that's exactly what you were talking about is, is mm -hmm. that, you know, if, if I can objectify them, now I can carry this out, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and social media just seems to be bringing out the very worst in us. Mm. So, um, you know, we really fought the cell phone thing for a long time with our kids. And then, it, you know, you just give in to the wave. And so we got our kids cell phones and my daughters, you know, they got Facebook. And my daughter put a, a Facebook account up and she took a picture of herself and she put it on there. The first comment was, God, you're ugly. Mm. And I, so I said, you need to talk to that boy at school tomorrow. And so my daughter's, you know, hey, what's your, you know, right at him. Why'd you say that? And, and I think what the boy said was actually the truth. He says, I don't know. Well, it's still wrong and you need yeah. to apologize mm -hmm. for it. But I think we don't even think about what we're saying. Right. And, um, and I think, you know, part of the miss in our culture is, you know, we want to create these um, anti-hate laws. And it really, it's learning how to be people laws. Mm -hmm. Um it's not that we need to learn how to treat gay, lesbian, and transgender people. It's that we need to learn how to treat P 
people. It's not that I need to learn how to treat people who are of a different color than me or a different gender than me or a different religion than me. We're not very good at treating people. Mm -hmm. And so any difference exacerbates that problem. Like I'm already relationally dysfunctional. Mm -hmm. So now we add on color, gender, sexuality, political preference, right? Now we're even further from each other because we, we don't we don't know how to collectively get along. Well, and now add the fact that I'm not sitting in front of you telling you you're ugly. I'm sitting from the comfort of my home looking at a website yeah. that has no emotion. Right. Right. I've now been able to dehumanize that. Yeah. And so that's why social media is just like the it's the armpit of yeah. society, right? Well, it's and just, I told and I told my son that, you know, my son's sixteen years old, I told him with porn. I said, you don't realize what you're doing with your mind. You're dehumanizing women. Yep. You're dehumanizing it. Yep. And so that's the thing that's so confusing about our culture, right? You know, we, we celebrate, when I say we, I mean, not me, our culture celebrates, you know, women who are in the porn industry as, as sexually free. And mm-hmm. I'm like, you're not free. Yeah. Not only are you not free, you're enslaving yourself, women in general, and men who objectify and watch. Right. I, I mean, like this is this is like w- this is the most unfreeing thing there is, and 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 young men are learning. Um, I had to, I had to tell my wife this. Um, I said so much of what I learned about sexuality was through porn. Mm-hmm. I got a twenty minute class. This is no joke with Mr. Wall and Mr. Pipe. <laughs> Those were my teachers. Those were my teachers for sexuality, yeah. human sexuality. Uh, I got twenty minutes with them. I grew up in a very religiously conservative home. Uh, you know, we talked about it a little bit. They did way more than my parent, their parents did. But most of what I learned was through pornography, which is not helpful. It is not helpful at all to relating to a real person. And so I think our culture in general, let's just call it relational porn. Um, and not just that, but like, um, I really like zombies, I like zombie movies. Uh, and so we watched the walking dead, but it got to the point where it was so vile and so violent. We just stopped watching. I was just mm-hmm. like, I I can't I can't watch a human being be beaten in this way, and um, and movies get that way. I mean, it's just so over the top. And what we're doing is we're saying this is a normative way to treat a human being, and it's just like that's not the way we treat. Yeah, and even in that, so look at the the example of pornography. Right, um, we're seeing uh, just a wave of. Uh, ED happening for younger men right yeah. now. Can you Be- tell us what ED is? Uh, erectile dysfunction, yes. right? That men are having trouble performing sexually within their marriage. Um, and just the understanding of, so if I can objectify, if so now, you know, it's not a committed relationship that is sexual and pleasing. It's now a plethora of different types of women, different mm. types of scenarios, different types of this, different types of this. And what I'm doing is I'm creating neural pathways within my act of sexuality and arousal um, mm. on a screen that's objectified, that's yeah. distancing me. So now when I have a person standing in front of me and I can't swipe, I can't change, change. I can't yeah. do this. I can't do that. And, you know, it actually takes relational equity. It takes uh, yeah. back and forth. It takes loving kindness, not a quick, you know, yeah. and, and so what we're seeing too is 
people are having trouble just even engaging in the act of intimacy because the neural pathways has changed inside the brain. So our brain is very plastic to where it changes to the scenarios that we're most uh, exposed to, right. right? And so now, you know, you get in front of this other, and even though you have this desire, you know, your brain's not going to function like that. Right. And so we're even, I mean, look at social media, right? We, we have all these people that don't know how to connect. Well, this is the way I connect, and it's not even with a real person. And yeah. so now I'm in front of someone, and I don't even know how to do that. And so yeah. it, it just kind of compounds on... Yeah, All those I was uh, talking with a, a pastor and he has a large social media following. I mean, it's it's over 100,000. He doesn't have one friend. Mm. Yeah. Not one friend. He said, I'm so lonely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But he's got a hundred, and you, and you just look at that and you go, oh my gosh, look at this guy's life. Um, you know, I, he has the ideal life and he's saying, I'm, I'm a disaster. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, and again, I think, you know, so much of our society and part of the victimhood is, is what I'm doing is I'm looking at everyone else's fake life. Um, and then I'm judging my real life based upon their fake life. And I, I, I feel, I, I feel like I'm, I'm missing out. So I've been robbed. Well, I don't have the money. I don't have this. Well, most of these people don't have the money. Mm-hmm. I mean, they just don't just have, they just can't live. I mean, I don't know if you guys heard, but Johnny Depp just declared bankruptcy. It's worth $650 million and he's broke because he was living at a, 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 at a, at a clip that he couldn't afford. And so um, I was reading this article. Um, I, I love to read. I don't like watching the news because I want to be able to swipe. It's part of my dysfunction. I want to swipe when I don't, when I don't want to watch it anymore. Um, but I was reading this article and it was saying this, this girl who's a, who's a, um, an internet tra- traveler, so she travels all over the place and blogs about her. It was all fake. Mm. And so they showed this picture uh, and she's, you know, pleasing to look at beautiful woman. And they're showing her in all these locations all over the world. And what they do is they show you the clouds in the background and the clouds in the background are identical in every single photo. And it's like, it's all fake. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And somebody finally noticed, wait a minute, these clouds. And I mean, they're, they're like a bizarre. So she has like one cloud photo on her app. So she's been throwing that up there yeah. and, and lying about where she's going and what she's doing. Mm-hmm. But everybody else that's following her is going, oh, I want to travel and not work. Mm-hmm. I want to be an internet blogger. I want to do this and do that. And so uh, they get upset with their life. And uh, I think that, you know, there's, there's a general angst about the world and there's there's a general sadness about the quality of life that we're living based upon what we're seeing others live. Mm. And so I'm gonna strike out at the happy people because I'm unhappy. And so before you guys, I was interviewing a gal who was at the shooting, you know, here's all these people enjoying a concert. Right. I mean, just think about that. And I'm up in my room alone mm. and I'm all by myself and I'm going to harm all these people at their happiest moment. Mm. And I just think you can get to the place where you're so unhappy that other people's happiness drives you insane. Yeah. Mm. And you want to end that. And um, um, so what would you say, um, how can we as individuals be a part of this solution? Yeah, I think there's a couple things we can do. One, just going back to this whole objectifying humanity thing. Right. I think one of the things we need to do is we need to incorporate spiritual disciplines that actually help us engage with one another. Yeah. So there's a whole move right now in the spiritual formation community where they're they're promoting disciplines that are community minded. Like 
for example, just having lunch with a friend, you know, mm-hmm. once a week or having a, a, a conversation with somebody once a week, even with media, they're talking about curating media and doing it with communities. So having, you know, if you're going to watch a show, watch a show with, with people, you know, and then have conversations about yeah, that, yeah. you know? And so it's bringing the human element back into some of these things that are really designed to, I mean, they're not designed to do this, but they are doing it, you know, to objectify mm-hmm. uh, human relationship. I think it's a big thing we can do is to think about em- embracing spiritual disciplines that help us to recognize that we're, we're people and we relate to one another, you know? Yeah. And in that, I think the other thing we need to do is really learn to listen to one another. You know, I mean, you got the left saying one thing, you got the right saying something else, they're screaming at one another. And sometimes it's like, you know, talk about watching these television interviews where they don't even let the other person speak. Yeah. They're just talking over one another. It's like, click, I'm done with you. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. like, let's learn to listen because you know what? There are great ideas on the left and there are great ideas on the yeah, right. Sure. And and the reality is, I think a lot of us want the same thing. Mm-hmm. So let's create uh, an avenue of listening to one another and compromise that allows us to accomplish what we need to accomplish as a society. Yeah. So I think listening, the more we can we can incorporate listening, mm. uh, like you guys are doing a great job right now, thank you, into our conversation, you know, I think that would be that would go a long way mm. in helping us understand one another. Yeah. So I you know, I, and I would say this to our audience, I I have learned to be a listener. Right. So I have ADD, mm. I'm a three, I think I have great things to say all the time. Right, which is not true, but that's what I think. And I think that as a whole, we've become such bad listeners as a culture. I remember I was I was talking with a relative and my uncle said, you're such a great listener. I said, no, I think I'm decent. I just think most people are really, really bad right. at it. Mm-hmm. And um, we need to learn to do that. And uh, and, and it starts with caring for the person. And, and even right. if I don't agree, I care about you. And so I wanna hear what you have to say. And like, even in marriage, I know you guys are married. I don't always agree with my wife. Oftentimes I don't, but I care about her. And so I have to control my own emotions, which is a struggle as we're talking about things that we disagree with. Um, Because at the end of the day, what I want is I want her to feel loved and be heard. And that's hard to accomplish Mm. because whenever, especially when we're talking about something that we don't agree. Right. And, um, you know, and and it feels like people are coming against you. And I think we just haven't raised kids to to disagree, to talk about, and um, to ask questions, yeah. to probe, to discover. Like, yeah. okay, what what's making you think this way? Yeah, I, I may disagree with you, but I'd like to know. Yeah, where's this coming from? Mm-hmm. You know, let mm-hmm. me understand at least. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, your thoughts? Yeah. Um, so I, I love that. You know, listening. Um, I think there's just three things I would look at. The first thing is just be aware of how you're experienced in life. Hmm. You know, um, we say that here at Sandals on the staff, leadership talks to us, you know, how are you being experienced? I think sometimes we don't realize how we're being experienced. We don't realize the um, the anger we may be portraying, the, uh, the, right. the lack of willingness to engage that we may be portraying, the aggression, the frustration, just how are you being experienced, you know? Um, I think a lot of people, if they could take a step back and think, okay, if I'm this person, yeah, you know, what am I thinking about me, mm-hmm. right? How am I mm-hmm. being experienced in this moment? I think we get so ingrained in our own thoughts and our own uh, ideals and our own beliefs that we forget mm-hmm. that someone feels the same way we do just on the other side of the coin, mm-hmm. right? And and so how is it, what is it like to engage with me? 
about that. Um, I, I think the the second thing, and we've talked about this a lot, but get off social media and get with real people. Right. right. Like uh, my wife laughs because I don't have social media because I truly believe this. If someone cares, they're going to call me, mm. right? I'm going to go hang out with them. I'm going to spend time with them. Yeah. I don't I don't want to talk about the thing that you want everybody to see. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to do that for myself. Mm-hmm. I, I want to actually talk to a person, mm-hmm. right? And so- and you're what, 78? I'm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My wife would probably agree yeah, with that. That's yeah, what our listeners- yeah, Everything's loud lately. I don't yeah. get what's going on. Um, but uh, engage with people, right. talk with people, yeah. sit down with people, you know, um, be aware of what it's like to to sit down over coffee and talk about things or to share your struggles or one of the best things and I'm I'm a pastor here at Sandals mm-hmm. uh one of the best things that happened to me was getting into a community group at Sandals mm-hmm. so so even you know even uh gosh just a couple of weeks ago my community group in love brought something up and challenged me mm-hmm. right and and it really rippled some effects throughout my life, mm-hmm. realizing some of the things they were talking about. Wow. And uh, as a, and I can give it a short preview, but as a high three, I'm, I'm very driven. And uh, someone in my community group said, you know, you don't want to be the four-year-old that worked so hard to provide for his family that he lost his family. Mm. And my wife and I went home after some of the conversations that we had with our community group. And man, she's a nine. So she got very declarative. I was so proud of her and so grateful for that moment. But I would have not been aware of those things in my life if I didn't have my community group. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And I've been doing ministry for 15 years. I've, you know, I, I'm, I'm someone that, you know, works within the counseling of the church. And, you know, if I didn't have this community group, I wouldn't have realized that. Yeah. Right. And so, um, and I'd say the third thing is growing compassion. Mm. So, you know, there's a author, uh, I think his name is Greg Boyle, but mm. he says something really powerful. Uh, he says, stop looking at how people are carrying what they're carrying and start looking at how much mm. they're carrying. And I think for all of us, it's really easy to stand back and judge mm. and not really realize, gosh, if I was in their shoes, I might be carrying that thing the same way. Mm-hmm. And I think we just, as a, as a society, we need to grow in our compassion. We mm. need to stop making such quick judgments and start start listening to mm-hmm. what got you to this point. Yep. Why? Well, tell me, tell me the why behind what you're right. deciding in your life, yeah. because most people, if you really dig into it, most people have good reasons for doing what they do. Now, I'm not talking about these people that carry out these violent acts. I'm just talking about in general, right? Most people. So, one of the questions I, I ask a lot of people to think through is, you know, you're cut off on the 91 by someone who's angry. How do you feel? Right, most people are like, "Well, I'm ticked. I'm mad. You know, I might check my brakes if I get in front of them. Things like that." Yeah. Then I say, "Okay, you're cut off by someone on the 91 because they're late for a business meeting that could save their company. How right. do you feel?" And they're like, "Well, I'm a little bit more understanding." Then I say, "You're cut off on the 91 by someone who's trying to get home because someone's breaking into their home to hurt their kids." Yeah. And everybody goes, "Oh my gosh, I would get out of the way. I would follow them. I would help." And if you just get the why behind things, a lot of the times you can grow compassion in your compassion. You really care for people well, yeah. mm-hmm. and you can have good conversations because that makes sense why you would believe that or why you would be for that. Yeah. And so I, I think those three three things could really help us out. Yep, I agree. That's cool. All right, how can people help others to heal, move forward after these events? I mean, I know you worked mm-hmm. specifically with uh, you know victims of the uh, San Bernardino mass shooting. 
Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if have you been a part of those at our yeah, church. Yeah, I I met with most people from the '91. Okay, uh, yeah. free issue. Okay, okay. So why don't you share what what you found? Yeah, I mean, this helpful. is probably more Brett's department, but at least mm. my experience has been just spend time with them and let mm. them talk as much or as little as they want to. You know, I my, my experience in, in situations like this is the more they talk about it and the more you can just listen to them mm-hmm. and let them just share whatever they need to share. Don't need to correct anything. You know, you don't need to judge their behavior if they get angry or they yeah. start to cry or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. Just let them... Ex- express whatever they need to express right. when they've been impacted by something like this. And I think that holds true also for 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 people that we meet that are, for some reason, they're moved by one of these mass shootings or a tragedy that's in our country. People react to things differently. Like, we don't need to try to judge them for it or figure it out, like, where this is all coming from. But we right. need to create a space for them, create a space for people to process mm-hmm what they're going through. I think that's one of the most important things, at least what I've experienced, you know. But I, I would agree with Dan. So one of the things that when I meet with people, uh, tra- trauma victims, one of the things that uh, I tell them is give yourself permission. Mm-hmm. Give yourself permission to laugh. Give yourself permission to cry. There's there's so many uh, experiences that happen when you survive a traumatic mm-hmm. event like this. So, you know, when I met with a lot of the 91, uh, is 91 Freeway, what, what was it called? It was. Uh, it's the ninety one. I the yeah. ninety one concert. The one Las Vegas. Yeah. Yeah. So when, Route ninety one. Route ninety one. Route ninety one. Yeah. When I met with a lot of clearly them, not on social media. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm <laughs> not. Yeah. Uh, when I met with them, you know, some people were very happy that they were alive. Some people were happy then felt guilty that they sure. were alive. Um, some people were sad, mad, um, just distressed. And one of the biggest things I told them is give yourself permission to experience all those mm-hmm. things you've gone through something that we don't know how to process well, just allow yourself mm-hmm. to feel it yeah. and be around people that help you feel safe. And so I think the biggest thing that we can do and what Dan was saying is give people permission. If they're mad, let them be mad. That's mm-hmm. understandable. If they're sad, if they feel guilty, you know, we definitely want to walk towards a sense of health yeah. uh, in that. But in that initial phase, you just got to be able to experience things that are happening to yeah. you. You know, the fact that you can't sleep at night, the fact that you can't mm-hmm. go into open spaces or closed spaces, that it's okay. And so I think the biggest thing that we want to do when we talk to someone that's gone through a traumatic event is we feel anxiety. So we want to calm ours Mm. by helping them, Mm. but you may not be the person to help them. Right. And so the biggest thing we can do is just love on them. How can I support you? Um, I would stay away from asking questions about the event, unless you're someone who's trained in that, or if they've come to you to talk about the event Mm -hmm. Um, and just be there and give them permission to feel what they're feeling in that moment. Yeah. You know, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I'm a gun owner. I am. I own a gun because I want to protect my family. Uh, I have no plans on shooting anybody other than someone that's going to murder my family. That, that That's what that gun is there for. But I'm open to hearing for gun legislation that that is going to potentially help to reduce this. And I think gun owners should be able to do that. I also think people who hate guns, and I know many of our listeners are those people, should be willing to hear why people feel safer and feel constitutionally that they have the right to bear arms, which is a constitutional right in our country. Um, and so we have to, we have to understand that and, um, and try to meet each other halfway and how can we find this? And I think the reason we can't move forward as a country is gun owners are afraid that their guns are going to be taken away of. I think that's a, that's, it's a legitimate concern. It's incumbent upon the left 
to deal with that issue and say, we're not going to do that and, and mean it. Hmm. We're not going to do that, hmm. but we both want to move forward in reducing gun violence. And here's some things I think that we can do and, and, and come up with a system that tries to help. I don't think we can ever eliminate it completely, but come up with a, a system that can help people um, particularly with mental illness, you know, you know, we've not dealt with mental illness and I feel like we do this all the time. We want to talk about the homeless crisis. And I've just said this at our city. I am completely unwilling to talk about homelessness unless we talk about drug addiction and we talk about mental illness. Mm-hmm. I will not have a conversation about home because a lot of it's not homelessness. A lot of it's drug addiction uh, and mental illness or a combination of both. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's, it's ridiculous. So, so we need to, we need to be willing to, to talk about these things, but not just address one issue, but address the whole problem. And um, I think as a country, uh, even if you're not a Christian and you listen to this, you should be deeply concerned about the lack of spirituality of our country. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if there is no God and we are just animals, then why is it wrong to do whatever you want? Mm-hmm. We, we may not like the results, but if we're all just animals and Darwin's right, and it's literally survival of the fittest, I don't know the, how we solve this problem, yeah. but if there's a God who's going to hold us accountable and we are created mm-hmm. in his image and he loves us and we are mandated to protect life, then I think that's a different conversation. Right. And and people need to understand there are real consequences for moving away from God. Romans 1 is clear. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the, the homosexual aspect of that passage gets most of the attention. What we ignore is when people worship other things other than God, he hands them over to a depraved mind. Right. We go crazy when we forget God. That's what Romans mm-hmm. 1 says. And so I think we need to lovingly, I would not post what I just said on your Facebook, Instagram, <laughs> uh, but we need to be aware that, man, the, the further we drift from God, I think the closer we get to insanity. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, we just, we just talked about Daniel and uh, King Nebuchadnezzar. As he rejected God, he went insane. Right. It, was the, it was the consequence right. for him not acknowledging God. He acted like an animal, let his toenails grow, and he ate grass in the field for like nine months. Mm. So, like, I mean, that's thousands of years old. And it says, right. man, you get away from God, this is this is the consequence. So we just need to be aware of that. And we need to lovingly invite people, offer hope, and reach out even to people we disagree with. Mm. Um, so, well, thanks for coming on the show, yeah. guys. I love you guys. Appreciate too, both man. of thanks you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, and, 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 you know, so many of you, uh, you know, you want to meet with me. You don't want to meet with me. You want to meet with Soul Care. These people... <laughs> Uh, are, are gifted and talented. And, and, and the Christian life is about using your spiritual gifts. Mm-hmm. And people in soul care are spiritually gifted by God. Think about that, by God. God has endowed them with spiritual gifts to care, to guide, and to listen and help. That's who you want to talk to. You do not want to talk to me, okay? So love you guys. Thanks for being here. Love yep. you, thanks, Matt.